0: Okay, Tov, I want to thank Devore and Avi Orland for sponsoring again in memory of their special daughter Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, whose neshama should have an aliyah through our learning. Okay, we're on page Tof Kof Peites, we're still in Ale Shor, Chelek Beis, of Shlomo Volba, the great mashkech of Yerushalayim, second volume of his magnum opus of his Ale Shor, and we've been going through his Tfila Ubitachon. And so far to remind you, uh, just to bring us back up to speed, we talked about the idea that uh, he quoted the Gemara that says that a person who summit Gaula Latfila, if you connect Gaula Latfila, if you connect, I'll tell which place, that if you connect Gaula, uh, if you connect Hashem's exodus, that he took us out of Egypt with the uh, prayer that we're about to offer, then a the person has to go to Ulam Abba. And we talked about, why should that be? What's the connection between the two? Rabbeinu Yonah. Again, we talked about this at length, and I want to review the whole thing. But the major thesis that he's offered so far is that Tfila is the binyan of Emuna and Bitachon. That prayer is the gym for Emuna and Bitachon. That's where we work out the Emunah and muscles. Okay. That when we take those three steps forward, and we stand before Hashem, and we say whatever it is that we need, we want, we're protesting, we're objecting to, we're grateful for whatever form of prayer, of which there's no one form, depending on the day, depending on the moment of the day, you might be thanking Hashem for something, or you might be protesting against Hashem for something, or you might be asking Hashem for help with something, or you might be just crying to Hashem for something. Each tefillah, each moment, is radically different from the next. But what they have in common is that we're connecting with Hashem. And last week we talked about not just going through the motions. You don't put a check as if really I'm in charge, I'm in control, I do everything. And among the many things I do to take initiative, check, I went through the sitter, I said the words, check. Then really we're davening to ourselves. We think we're in charge, but really davening is an exercise in humility and it's an exercise in emuna that I'm putting my faith and trust in Hashem that is entirely up to, it's entirely up to Him. So I have us on page tough Kuf Peites Oz Gimel. You may not have us there, but that's where I'm starting anyway. So That's where I have us. I'm sorry, I have us up to Dalad. Dalet. Dalet. You're, all, you're all so passive and obedient. Nobody corrected me. Okay, Dalad. I see I can say anything I want here. Okay, Dalad. Almost. So why is it going back to the Gemara in Brachos Davdalet? Why is it that somebody who finishes Ga'al Yisrael and they have no interruption, and they immediately, in succession, go right into Hashem's Fasai Tivtach, right into their Amidah, then they are guaranteed Olam Haba. They have a portion of the world to come. Why? Because bitachon trust in Hashem is the core of yira of awe and of emuna of faith. Now he's using a lot of terms there and seemingly interchangeably. We've tried to over the last several years in this class to find these terms a little bit. What's the difference between emuna, bitachon, dvekus, yira, ava? It's a lot of terms we use interchangeably, but often inaccurately. Emuna is the knowledge that there is a creator of the universe. Emuna is. If the world didn't come into existence by chance, by accidents, by randomness, there is a designer, there is a creator. But amuna just means that there is an infinite, omnipotent being who created the entire universe. It doesn't speak to the fact that he has a relationship with me. I can admire a magnificent painting or a sculpture or building, and I can know that there is an architect, designer, artist, author, that doesn't mean that I have a relationship with him. Maybe lived, she lived 500 years ago. May they hear she lives 5,000 miles from where I am. Just because I can admire the intricacy, the detail, the wonder of a creation doesn't mean I have a relationship with the Creator. Samuna is the acknowledgement that there is a creator of the universe. There's an artist, a designer, a sculptor who put it all together and put it into motion. Yira is being filled with a sense of awe of him. Yira is not fear. Again, we've talked about, there's Yira Sa'onesh and Yira Sa'romamus. Yira Sa'onesh is... If I do the wrong thing, lightning's going to strike. I have to do the right thing, because if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to be punished. Yirasa HaRomamos is a higher level. It's awe. I'm so in awe, I would never want to disappoint. Think about it with our children. With our children, they could have yirasa onesh. I better go to sleep, because if I'm caught, then I'm still awake. They're going to take away my iPad for a week. So yirasa onesh. I don't want to be punished by losing my device, so I'm obedient. I do what you ask, because otherwise I fear I'll be punished. There's also yirasa HaRomamos, a child could say, I have such awe of my parents, I would never want to disappoint them. And they asked me to go to sleep by this time. So iPad, no iPad, losing it, not losing it. I'm not worried about losing it. It's not the punishment I'm worried about. It's that I have such awe and admiration who they are and their values. I have such love and awe, I would never want to disappoint them. So we know as parents what we want from our children. We'd much rather Yer than Yer HaSaromash. I think there's a stage of life maturity to that. Right? When they're younger, there's a lot of Yerasa Onesh. When they're older, you have a lot less onish. I mean, As long as they're on your payroll, you still have the onish component. But once they're off your payroll, and they're a mature adult, and they're somewhat independent, then they no longer have the Yerasa Onesh. They're not living in fear that you're going to punish them. But you hope that by that stay of their, stage of their life, they have enough maturity to look at you and your life with awe and admiration, and do things because they don't want to disappoint you. So yira of Hashem is not just fear. Uh, lightning's going to strike, if I don't make this bracha, then my stocks aren't going to go up, and if I don't this, then that. It's not this fear correlation, it's an awe, I'm in awe. That's real, Yira is awe. So, so Revolva says, at the combination, at the at the cross-section of Amuna and Yira, the knowledge that there's a creator, an omnipotent being who put the whole world together, and Yira, I have awe, admiration of him, is Bitachun. I put my trust and faith in him. So Revolve here refers to, he has a whole uh, sefer, it's incorporated into Aleishor, but he also has an independent sefer called, and I highly recommend it, if you're a parent, grandparent, you love children, you're an educator, or you just want to read something fascinating, it's called Zuria Ubinyan. It's called Planting and Building. They published it in Hebrew and in English. Zuria Ubinyin, Planting and Building. And Revolve's thesis there about parenting and about educating, is that there's a component of both planting and building. Planting and building are very different exercises. Each one has uh, an upside and each one has a downside. When you build, there's a very strong foundation. The problem is, whatever you build and you follow the architectural plans is very rigid. It is what it is. You have plans, you follow them to the T, and you are left with a very rigid structure, a very rigid building that has no creativity, it just is what it is, it's fixed. When you plant, there's not a strong foundation the thing can grow wild, it can grow everywhere. But, there's a creativity, there's continuous growth, there's development, there's innovation, there's creativity, it's building. Our children, he says, are really ourselves, if you want to view it that way. We have to view, we have to educate ourselves, we have to raise ourselves, nurture ourselves, and nurture those around us with both of these components. In some ways, we have to treat them like a building, to build a strong foundation, and to have rigid structure. But in other ways, we have to plant them like a seed, where they will continue to grow, they'll continue to have a life force to them, where there'll be some creativity and innovation. Sometimes the, the asset, sometimes the greater character trait is a binyan. Sometimes with our children we need structure, we need boundaries, we need borders, we need rigidity. And other times you need ziriyah. You have to plant an idea within them, plant values within them, and then say, go grow, go run, go grow, go explore, Go go develop. So he says the core of Yira, of awe is binyan. Awe has to have a foundation, Awe has to have structure. And the core of Amuna is tzmicha. One grows, one evolves, one flourishes in there, one blossoms in their amuna. ki Yona ki So the, the apex and the cross-section of the building and of the planting, together, where do they meet, is with bitachon. Is with bitachon, Is with trust in Hashem. It's faith in Hashem. And again, I know I repeat this every week, and some of you come, even though you know what I'm going to say, just to hear it every week, and I say it every week because I need to hear it every week, That that's exactly what this bitachon is. That when we are losing perspective, we need to recalibrate our compass. compass. When we start to think that the insignificant things are important, or we start to forget what matters. We start to be filled with anxiety, worry, fear, doubt. When we start to have jealousy, envy, anger, when we start to have all these negative attributes which just eat and corrode our core and cause us to sabotage our own success. We have to be brought back to emuna and bitachon. That the core of a healthy life and living is bitachon. is to realize what am I anxious for? It'll be what it meant to what it's meant to be. I should work hard to control the things I can control. And once I've done what I can, the best I can do, it's up to Hashem. What's going to be the weather this Sunday? Are there going to be thunderstorms? Are there going to be people driving? Are, they are there traffic? I don't know. I, I, can't, I know one thing. I can't control the weather. I can't. Nobody in history has been able to. And the Gemara tells us that nobody will be able to. There's three keys that the Baruch Hu kept for himself. Chazal tells us Hashem gave a massive keychain, like a Hatzalah type of keychain, to the, to the Jewish people, to the world. He said, here's my world, here are the keys, go conquer it. You can study space, study biology, chemistry, physics, go conquer my world, manipulate it, study it, control it, do it. But there's three keys Hashem says I'm holding on to. Number one, the key of rain, the weather. And isn't it amazing? I always find it fascinating, particularly when Chas Vashon, a hurricane is forming and the weather people look foolish as they're trying to create a cone and predict a path and they're doing the best they can. And we, we have We have satellites in outer space gazillion miles away, that on my phone can tell me if there's traffic around the corner and if there's a policeman down the street. Mm -hmm. But they can't tell me whether this massive hurricane is going to hit here or go out to sea or hit New York. Because we can't control the weather. We can't, you know, explode a bomb in space and redirect the hurricane. We can't control the weather. Hashem says one of the keys I held on to. And the second key is, sadly, some know this, is fertility and conception. And we know that we have amazing... Advancement, we have doctors and laboratories where we mix ingredients, and we 've made incredible progress to help people realize their dream of parenthood. But in the end of the day, Hashem holds the key. My neighbor, our own member, Dr. Matilski, who runs a fertility laboratory in the in the waiting room of their office, they have picture book, albums filled with babies who were conceived in the back in the laboratory in the in the petri dishes and but if you talk to dr Matilski, he 'll say yeah, every day we make progress on how to mix the ingredients. But he says, whether they turn into a healthy, viable, beautiful child, there's no doubt, there's no, no, nobody can predict that. Nobody can control that. He says, sometimes we have five healthy, amazing embryos, pre-embryos, zygots, and we implant them in a woman and we expect there's going to be triplets and unbelievable, and none of them take. And other times, a couple goes through tens of thousands of dollars of the treatments and the medicines and the shots, And they produce one terrible looking embryo that's barely holding on, that looks like it has no shot. But what are you going to do? You spent all the money, spent all the time, you went through all the pains, and you implant it. Nine months later, a beautiful, healthy baby is born. And he said, the difference between the first and the second case, it's not up to me. He's an incredible person, so he has the humility and the faith to see Hashem in his lab. Others think it's all them. They don't see the failure as I'm not in control. They just see the ones that are born and look at me, I, I'm so good at mixing the ingredients. So the second key Hashem says is fertility. And the third key is the resurrection of the dead. We miss people. We so badly wish we could bring them back to life and we don't have that capacity. Hashem has held on to that key and please God soon will merit to see him turn the lock. we Will merit to see him use the key. So Hashem gave us the keys to his universe but he held on to three keys. Why did I get onto this? Because the weather. Oh, one of the keys. One of the keys that he holds on to is the weather. So let's say, for example, just theoretically, you have a major event coming up and you're worried about the weather. You're worried about the weather. So you could either like, be up all night and be nervous all day and make your husband, I mean, someone around you crazy about, about the weather. That's what she gets for not coming today. Or make you crazy about the weather. Or you could realize, like, I can't, what do you want me to do? We can stay up all night every night until the big event. There's there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do about the weather. Let's we reassure her. Again, you can say, "Will there be a spot for umbrellas?" Okay, there'll be a spot for umbrellas. Shem, good. Rain so, is so what? So Rain bracha. Is bracha. That's why that was exactly what I said. Simon bracha. Simon bracha. The point is, the point is, it's it's an example, and we all have these examples in our lives. We all have these examples in our lives that we have anxiety. What's going to be with the weather? What's going to be with the traffic? What's going to be with the flight? What's going to be with that person? What's going to be with my health? What's going to be with the return report? What's, what's going to be... What's going to be what's going to be? So there's two types of anxiety. There's the healthy anxiety that you channel into being more productive, more efficient, more driven, having greater ambition and aspiration. That's a productive anxiety. And there is destructive anxiety, which is the Jewish kind, which is just where you worry for no reason about things you can't control, and the worry has no impact on the outcome other than destroying your health. So you're so worried about your health and what's going to be at the doctor. Now, I'm not, I don't mean to minimize because this is not easy. A person is waiting to get a report, chas v'shalom. I don't mean to minimize. That is that is torture. It's hell on earth. I don't mean to minimize. But that's our mission, is to take a few deep breaths and to return to our amuna bitachun, to flex those muscles that we've been working out in the gym. right? So again, it comes back to what Revolve was saying. You go to Shachar's Khamarav you have the longest shmoner essay in the shul, you shuckle so fervently it's like a major workout, you are schwitzing through your clothing, but then, all of a sudden, you know, the weather predicts a thunderstorm, what happened to all the da? where would it go? So the answer is that you've got to work out the amunah muscle muscles, so that in between the Davani and the experiences, when you confront the things that make you anxious, or filled with doubt, or worry, or uncertainty, or anger, or envy, or jealousy or impatience, or whatever the quality, you can take that deep breath and say, oh yeah, you know, I remember doing chakras when I was telling Hashem how I trust Him entirely. Now I've got to trust Him entirely. I've got to come back to that. So we see in Rabbeinu ayona that bitachon is that core. And that's exactly what we have to keep coming back to constantly. To remind ourselves, with, no matter what's going on in our lives, from major and significant to inconsequential and silly, is what matters and what doesn't matter. Adam <speaking in Hebrew> A person who is built with Yira. So if you've created a foundation of your life of Yiras Hashem, and we did a Shabbat Shuvah Drasha, we're turning over to page Tuf, Tuf Kuft Sadi, but uh, it, we did a Shabbat Drasha several years ago about Yirah Shemaim, and um, I wrote it up in the, in the second volume of Yadrim, our, our base medrash's Torah journal. That came out. The green volume, Yadrim, volume 2. I wrote up that Shabashu, which Shuvah about Yir Hashemayim. But the foundation, we need to work on Yir Hashemayim. We're good emphasizing Ava. Love and Hasidus and pnimius And those are all beautiful things. I'm very, very drawn to them. I'm very attracted to them. But at the core of, yes, Hashem loves us and Hashem wants us. And Hashem sees even the small things we do. And it means the world to Him. And we give Him nachas. And Hashem loves us. Hashem loves us. Hashem loves us. That's good. It's true. And our generation needs a lot of that we also could use a really healthy dose of yira The yira that says, yeah, I want to do that, but yira shemayim that's, that's pasnish, that's not what Hashem wants from me. I'm living with a sense of yira. I have such awe, such admiration that I'd never want to disappoint Hashem. And there is a shtickle fear. A shtickle fear wouldn't be a bad thing. This is a fearless generation. Everyone just does what they want, how they want, when they want. So how I define myself. This is how I dress. This is how I orient. This is how I behave. This is who I am. Everything the way I want it. And everyone has to make room for me and my happiness and the way I want it. And I'm afraid of nothing. I'm entitled to everything. And so our generation needs a healthy dose of Yer You should have a lot of fear. And you're not entitled to anything. And you don't deserve anything. And you shouldn't do anything other than what Hashem Yisbarach, what the, Hashem, what the Master of the Universe wants from us to do. We need a dose dose of Yer So Revolver says if we have that healthy foundation, that there are things that are pasnished, there are things that they are wrong. It's just wrong. It's not how we behave. It's not who we are. It's not what we do. It's going to disappoint Hashem. Don't you care? Don't you love? Don't you appreciate? Don't you have gratitude for what He's done for you? There has to be a foundation, a strong foundation, a Yisod of Yira. Yira, Yira and Yira sa'romamas. The combination of a healthy dose of fear and... Or an admiration, and when one has that yira, and the amuna is sprouting, is blossoming, is growing, then you merit to get to be tachon. So he says, and where is that expressed? It's in the combination or the continuation from geula to tfila. If geula gives you a healthy dose of yira and amuna, why do we have amuna? We left mitrayim. And why did Hashem do everything he did in, in Mitzrayim? We say it in Davening every morning. Why did Hashem create such pomp and circumstance? Ten plagues, splitting of the sea. I mean, incredible, incredible interference with nature. Unprecedented, unparalleled interference with nature. A revelation that's never been repeated. Why? He could have taken us out of Mitzrayim with the blink of an eye. Was he showing off? Was he trying to impress the world? And the answer is, yeah. He wasn't showing off, but he was trying to leave an impression on the world. And he tells us that in Chumash. The Torah tells us that Hashem says, whenever you will doubt whether I know what's going on in the world and whether I'm involved in the world and whether my hand is guiding the world, ask your great-great-great-great-grandparents what happened in Egypt. Because I am revealing myself in this enormous way for this one time so that in perpetuity you can always look back, go back to it and remember... That just as I did for them, I'm doing for you. I may be behind the curtain for you. You may not see me like they did. But I'm just as there for you as I was for them. And that's being Soma G'ula Latfila. G'ula is Vayaminu Bashem. I remember. And by the way, the Rambam writes why do I believe in the miracles of Mitzrayim? see as Mitzrayim, the 10 plagues, the splitting of the sea, and so on. I don't believe because I read it in a book. It's not because I read it in the Torah or in the Chumash. Why do I believe it? I heard it from my parents, who heard it from their parents, who heard it from their parents, who heard it from their parents, who were there, who saw it, who lived it. Incontrovertible. They were there. The truth is that's how we know any piece of history. Today in a world of fake news and fake media and fake internet, you can make a website. There's no regulation. You can make a website and you could publish on that website any truth that you want or untruth that you want. You can make up and and say, I want to share a historical event in 1746. This happened in a small city and whatever, and there were five people named whatever, and this is exactly what happened. You know what's going to happen? Some school kid's going to, for a project, Google and come across your website, and they're going to do a report based on the piece of history that you made up. Mm -hmm. So just because something's written in a book or published in a book or published on the internet doesn't make it true. How do we preserve truth? How do we know it's true? We know it's true through the transmission of people, going all the way back to those who were there and witnessed it. And by the way, the more people that were there and witnessed it, so if I have a transmission of truth that was only witnessed by one person, then it doesn't have a lot of veracity. I don't know if it's true. But if I have two million people who all reported seeing the same thing and all told their children, who told their children, who told their children, who told their children, who now have <coughs> children across the world who all have this tradition of what their great great grandparents saw together, then I can be pretty sure it's true. And that's Matan Torah, that's the splitting of the sea, that's the ten plagues. So Vayamina Bashem, Hashem said, I'm doing all this because I want to put it in your family narrative. I want to implant this in your family journey, in your family consciousness. I want to create this as a true piece of Jewish history that you will forever be able to look back. So Geula, Baruch Hashem, Gaal Yisrael, in those two words, Gaal Yisrael, in those two words, is embedded the ten plagues, the splitting of the sea, the giving of the Torah. All of that revelation so when I say the two words Gaal Yisrael, I'm tapping into the Amuna of, wow, Hashem didn't just create the universe. He's not just the designer and the programmer. He's intimately involved in the universe. He's guiding the universe. And now that I know that and acknowledge that and feel that in my bones and my kishkas, now, now that I said, Gaula, I can be somek Hashem's Hashem's Wow, you are the address, Hashem. You're the one to talk to. Because just like you did it for them, I trust you're going to do it for me. So in being soma geula Tfila in Making adjacent in the succession of Gula into Tfilah is Tmuna, is hidden is built is buried <coughs> the Zakhiya, the merit for Olam Haba. If I live with the Amuna of what happened in history, and I channel that, and I and I transition that into the belief of what's going to happen in my destiny, then in fact I merit Olam Haba because I'm living with Amuna Bitachon and Yira, and that's the core of all of life. The core of all of life and all of mitzvahs are a platform. For that emuna and for that bitachon, to feel and to see Hashem in every aspect of my life, we don't have 613 mitzvos. I said on Sunday morning in the in the uh, shir I gave about the slonim reba and chumash and parsha. It's online also that the slonim and this week's parsha and the piece that we did quotes I think from the Bashem that the Bashem said we don't have 613 mitzvahs. Of course, we have 613 mitzvos. There's gemara at the end of makos that derives we have a tradition that there's 613 mitzvos and then all the different rabbis throughout all the generations try to categorize the thousands of mitzvahs and how you can arrive at 613. What driving principles do we use in order to create those categories that we can reduce or consolidate the many more than 613 into 613? But the Baal Shem says, yes, we have 613 categories of mitzvahs, but they all have one theme. There's really one mitzvah, and the mitzvah is to have a relationship with Hashem. And the mitzvah is expressed in 613 different ways. So, I have 613 opportunities to be in love with my wife. They can include taking out the garbage, buying her a gift, having conversation, giving time, experiencing dinner, having intimacy. There's 613 different ways to be in love, to express love, to show loyalty, to experience emotional, physical, spiritual intimacy. But at the core of all of that journey is feeling the connection, feeling the bond, feeling that, that, that love. And the same is true with Hashem, says the Bashem. Ba 613 Different means, but one ends. And the one ends is being connected and feeling connected with Hashem. That's what it's all about. That's the bracha, I'll just tell you quickly, this was the Slonim Rashir. in the end of this week's parasha. Yaakov steals the bracha from Yitzchak, from Esav. But Yitzchak ends up giving a bracha, both Yaakov and Esav, and they look awfully similar. Yaakov's bracha is, May God give you my son from the dew of heaven and the fat of the land. And what's Esav's bracha? May the fat of the land be your, your, your where you live, be your residence, be your lifestyle. He gave the same bracha to both. There's one fundamental difference, says the Sdomerava. Yaakov's bracha is introduced as preceded with Yitain Lacha Elokim, and he says, don't read it as Yitain Lacha Elokim. May God give you from the dew of heaven and from the fat of the earth. Read it, Yitain Lacha, Here's my bracha. You know what you should merit. Elokim. May you feel Hashem in your life. And when you do, then, when the market goes up, you'll see it's from Hashem. When your income comes in, you'll feel it's from Hashem. You'll feel it's from Hashem. And you'll use all the Gashmias, all the physical that you have, will be directed and channeled towards Hashem. Esav lives, that the Gashmias, the physical world, is the ends, is the sum total. Esav is defined as an Ish Sadeh. He's a man of the field. The field is the symbol of the material world. He's a man of the field. Esav chases women. Esav hunts animals. Esav wants wealth, wants fame, wants notoriety. What you see is what you get. Esav is Asui. What you see is what you get. Superficial, the physical world. That's all Esav is. That's all Esav cares about. That's all Esav believes in. Yaakov, what happens? He's in in Yoshev O'alim. He's in Ishtam. He's not an Ishtadeh. He's not not a man of the field. He's in Ishtam. He's a man of the spiritual world. He's a man of the soul. He's a man of Ruchnius. But what happens at the end of the Pasha <laughs> Rabbi Selavitchik points out? Rivka tells ya- Yaakov, he's, he's, she sends him where? To the field. Why does he have to go make a barbecue for his father before he could steal the bracha? Yitzvah can't give a bracha without a barbecue, without a good piece of flesh. What, what, what's going on there? And there's a lot of answers. But Rabbi interpretation is that Rivka is showing. There's nothing wrong with the Sadeh. The field has a purpose, but the field is the Ishtam. We should be, we, our definition, our core character should be like Yaakov, should be spiritual people who use the physical universe to advance our spiritual agenda. So Yaakov, go to the Sada. Prepare from the Sada. Disguise yourself from the Sada before you appear before Yitzhak. But you're using the Sada, you're using the Gashmias as a platform for the Ruchnias. Esav saw the Gashmias as the sum total, as the ends. She was teaching Yaakov, use the Gashmir, use the physical material world as a means towards the spiritual. So again, that's our mission in this world is to see Hashem in everything, to feel Hashem in everything. And when we do, when we're so mach Gulal when we keep remembering, you remember I was so nervous. Remember how I was so worried? And it worked out. The thing worked out. Everything always works out. It works out. And even when it doesn't, that's also what's meant to be, and it worked out. And it worked out. People have gone through horrific, unimaginable, painful things and they find the capacity. That doesn't mean that worked out. It is forever a hole in their heart. It's not worked out, but yet, with one foot in front of the other, there's yet a life to live. So even if one fears, there's actually an entire philosophy about this. I listened to a podcast. I meant to speak about it or write about it or look into it. But there's a whole philosophy about living life where the way that you encounter the way that you counter your anxiety is to always articulate the worst-case scenario. And when you realize that you could live even with the worst-case scenario, then there's nothing to be anxious about. So instead of being anxious, put out what worst-case scenario and confront the worst-case scenario and figure out, could you survive the worst-case scenario? And if you can, then that's a way... What are they, the Stoics? Is that what it's called? I forgot what the philosophy is. There, there is a way to encounter this... So we add a little caveat, we add a little nuance to that philosophy, which is picture the worst case scenario and realize, it's not the worst case scenario. <laughs> Whatever you think is the worst case scenario was the design of Hashem. Somehow that's Hashem's best case scenario, because Hashem doesn't give you worst case scenarios. Hashem gives each of us our best case scenario for who we are and what we deserve and what we need in that moment and at that time. So we have an ability to build and to acquire this character trait of trusting in Hashem. Stop getting anxious and angry and envious. Trust in Hashem. So, every day, right? We're supposed to daven every morning. And every morning we finish Ga' Yisro and we start Sh'mon Esrei. And this is a new kavanah to have at this place in the Siddur. Probably the most neglected place in the Siddur. You finish Shema. Getting all geared up and ready to say Shemona you're taking your three steps forward, figuring out you know do you have your own personal space? You turn your person, that person, that person too loud, sneezing. This one's that. and then you, my sitter, am I in the right place? Most of us neglect Gula Tefila. Bracha Ga Yisrael is just like I got to say that to get to the Shemona Esrei. Shemona is the main thing, and what Avolbe is expressing, based on expanding on the Gemara in Brachos, is no, Shemona is the main thing, but it only works if the introduction, your Somich Gula Tefila, effectively if you take that pause, take that moment and say, I need to feel Hashem for a moment. I need to feel His love. I want to feel His embrace. I want to remember sometime when I felt His presence in my life. And now I'm ready to have a conversation with Him. Now I'm ready to talk to Him once again. And if I don't feel close to Him and I can't remember the time that He was in my life right now, then Geula. Let me think about the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea and the Jewish journey and how we've arrived and where we are and what's going on. Samer Geula Latfilah and without that introduction, that prerequisite, that license, that window to walk through, the entry into Shemona Esri is being summikulatfila. That is where our entire existence comes to a head. Right? Amuna Bitachun Yira. My whole day, my whole life is trying to work on feeling Hashem in my life. And where do I draw the energy for for that? From? Being sumak gaulatfila. That's why it's so central. That's why it's so core. When I'm so much Gaula, when I think about Gaula, I think about my own personal redemption. I think about our national and collective redemption. I think about where we're from and where we're going. That gives me the strength, it gives me the support, it gives me the energy, it gives me the faith to now be able to say Shimon Because why bother? What am I davening for? Is he really listening? Does he really care? Will it really work out? Does it really matter? Does that sound familiar? A lot of people feel that. Maybe if not every day, some days we feel that. Does it matter? Does he care? Will he really do anything? What difference will it make? Will it really change? Can it get any better? It's very easy to feel that. So, how do we override that feeling to make our davening charged despite those feelings? How do we purge those feelings by being somer geula by concentrating on geula and by saying, "You know how I can overcome that? Because geula, Hashem's in charge. I am deferring to Him. I am submitting to Him. He has a master plan." He's in charge. I also said yesterday at the Parshashir that Yaakov grabs onto Esav's heel. He's called Yaakov because he grabs Esav's heel. Could it help? It was impossible to help. Esav was already on his way out. There was no way that Yaakov could get around him. He couldn't pass. So why grab his heel? Because he had to show his initiative. He had to show his faith. He had to show Hashem, I'm going to try. And did he know that fast forward 13 years, that which he wanted desperately to be the Bechor, he got. Fast forward 13 years, Hashem orchestrated things, Avram dies, and Yaakov is baking lentils for Yitzchak who's sitting shiva, and Esav would come in dehydrated and malnourished from the field, and he, purchase, he sells the birthright, Yaakov gets that birthright that he wanted all those 13 years. So when he grabbed Esav's heel, was it a waste? Was it for not? Was it Was it fruitless? No, he was showing his initiative. He was saying, Hashem, I'm going to do my part, and I have faith in you. And if it is meant to be, and it's what's right to be, then you'll make it happen. And fast forward thirteen years, the Ribbon Hashem makes it happen. And I wasn't equating it and I'm not making a political statement, but I said yesterday, those who were entirely um, distraught with the Iran deal when it passed, fast forward a couple of years. We thought this is the end of Israel, it's the end of the world as we know it. This week US reimposed all the sanctions against Iran, the deal is gone the ideal is gone. And so we can never become demoralized. We should never give up hope. We should never feel that our effort was, was worthless and wasn't worth trying. When we have Amuna and Bittach and we put our faith and trust in Hashem, we realize, I took my initiative. Yaakov reached for Ace of Seal. and those who thought it was a bad deal and fought it, we took the initiative. And Akash Baruch, took all that initiative and all that faith and he put it in a bank. It was a major deposit. And he is the banker who determines when the withdrawal gets to be made. In Yaakov's case, it was 13 years later. And for those who cared about this deal, it was a couple years later. And who knows what else in our life we're davening for, our children, our grandchildren, our health, ourselves, that we're doing the initiative and we're expressing the faith and we don't feel it right now, but it's being collected and gathered and it's being deposited. And Akrish Borhu's is going to make a withdrawal. But we have to make those deposits if the bank account sits, sits empty or if it goes into the red, then there's nothing to withdraw. So we have to make the deposits for him to be able to make the withdrawal. So when we daven, whether it's in Shul, whether it's at home, we open that Siddur and we finish Ga'al Yisrael before, and, we, and we transition immediately. There's no break, there's no barrier, there's no hesitation. Yeah, Ga'al Yisrael, yeah, he did it in the past, but I don't see him now and I don't know if he's there now. So that hesitation, that hesitation ruins our Olam Haba because the hesitation means that we don't really have that faith. There can't be a hesitation, there can't be a pause. It's got to be Ga'al Yisrael, he's in history, Hashem is about to be in my destiny. He's ever-present, Hashem. He was in the past. He's in my present. I have trust and faith in Him about my future. So therefore, my recommendation, my homework, to myself, and you can try it too, is that when we take the three steps back or we're positioned three steps back, before you take the three steps forward, can't say it after, God Yisrael, it's got to be right before. Before you say the Baruch of G-d Yisrael, one or two or three deep breaths, and to get all the distractions, it has the image in your hand, you're shutting everything out. All the to-do list, and all the worry, and all the fear, and all the people you have to call, and places you have to go, and things you have to do, just shut it all out. And a few deep <coughs> breaths, and an intentional concentration on a positive thought of Hashem in your life. When was Hashem in my life? Do I have a story from my grandparents of how they survived? Do I have a story for my parents? Do I have my own story of when I felt him in my life when I was so worried or nervous or didn't think it would work out and he was there? And if none of those, I think of the Purim story or the Hanukkah story or his Mitzrayim story or the modern state of Israel, the miracle of the modern state of Israel and the story that we heard on Shabbos morning. The story on Shabbos morning of the pilot who flew the mission to bomb the Iraqi nuclear reactor. And he talked about how, and by the way, He's not observant. I don't believe. I don't want to disparage him, but I don't believe he's the way we would define. But what did he say in his speech? He listed several ways where Hashem revealed himself in the success of that mission. From King Hussein on his yacht seeing six Air Force planes going overhead and radioing ahead from Jordan to Iraq, but the radio frequency not working and the message not getting across. To how low they flew, to the weather, to all this hand of Hashem. He said he saw in that mission. Think about that before you say the Baruch Ga'al Yisrael. Think about the miracles in our own lives, the miracles in our collective national lives. Take the three deep deep breaths, and (coughs) only then, three steps forward, Ga'al Yisrael, right into Hashem's Fasai Tiftach, that I'm not worried. And these aren't just words, and it's not just a checklist. What I'm saying to you, Hashem, I believe you're going to come through. Not come through for what I want, but come through for what I need, even if it's not what I want. Hopefully what I need and what I want are the same thing, but even if they're not... Hashem, I put my trust and I put my faith in, in You. We should all bezocha for yitain Elohim, that we should have the brach of Elohim to feel Hashem's presence in our lives each day and every day. Mir Hashem will pick up next week. Amen.